sitting there in the welfare office, I remember almost giving up. I remember nights in the bathroom crying into a pillow so my kids couldn't hear just the pain of what I was going through. Shamika Tankerson had a comfortable life propped up on real estate investments when the housing market crashed in 2008. Overnight, her family lost everything in what became the darkest period of her life. Shamika is a business coach and author of the best-selling book, The Power of Permission, How to Set Fire to Your Fears and Sell More. And in this episode, she tells us the true story of her rise and fall and what she did to get herself out of the deepest hole she never thought she'd find herself in. You are the one who determines your expert status, your level of expertise, your authority in the world. No one can really do that for you. No waiting on an invitation to play on the big kids playground, to get invited to sit at the big kids table or the rooms or the stages that you wanna be on. It starts within you. In this inspiring interview, you will learn what it takes to step up into that Oprah-like version of yourself and start to make the impact that you were meant to make in the world. We had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview just for you inside the uncut vault. In that version, you will find a vulnerable Shamika describing her biggest influences before she became a teen mom and how her life was shaped by them. I also share with her her very first marketing video and she tells us what advice she would give to herself when she was starting out. And that may be just what you needed to hear right now. You can go check out our full conversation inside the Uncut Vault by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're doing the dishes, make sure you dry your hands before you head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the larger-than-life seven-figure sales queen, Shamika Tankerson. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hello, everybody. Today, I have with me award-winning coach, Shamika Tankerson. Shamika, I am so happy to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming here. Ina, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay. As you know, I like to really dive into my guests' stories, like from the beginning. All right. And I know that part of it was, like I said, I'm just totally diving in. You uh, having a teen pregnancy. And I'm like, I'm just diving right into that moment because I usually ask people about, okay, tell me about when you were not an entrepreneur and what was that like? But your story of empowerment 
empowerment and standing in your own two feet started very early on. Can you please just walk us through what that was like? Oh my gosh, it's been so long. My daughter's almost 30 years old. So that's been (laughs) quite some time. So I, I will tell you this. I always had been seen as someone who was on a trajectory to be successful. I was a high achiever in school. I got great grades. And so me becoming a team mom was kind of like out of left field for most people. However, it was generational. And so I just remember this feeling of I failed and that I let people down and that people who once saw me with promise started to look at me differently and steer me differently. And I remember kind of making a vow to myself that I was going to prove them wrong. And you would think, oh, that's an incredible, amazing thing. But it actually ended up being like the bane of my existence (laughs) because my life was just this cycle of proving, right? Mm -hmm. Just trying to always prove that I belonged, always prove that I was better than the average person. And, you know, if you focus too much on other people instead of your own self-empowerment, it doesn't really turn out that well, (laughs) you know? It can become consuming. And it made me um, neglect some of the successes that I had had early on in my life. Um, So it wasn't a fun thing. My daughter's incredible and you know, I did end up proving everybody wrong. That's that's how my story is beginning at this point in time. It's not ending just quite yet. However, the experience of how society looks at you and how they just start to predetermine that your life is now over because of a, a mistake. Can you tell everybody who doesn't know, what do you do right now and who do you serve? Yeah. So right now I am a mentor to mostly women. I have a few men in my community, but mostly women who are very ultra high achievers, but the shame of their past, the setbacks, failures, and disappointments of their past have them playing a much smaller game, kind of hiding in plain sight. I know that journey, right? I know the journey of being a phenom, being a giant, and kind of shrinking and not standing in your greatness. And so the work that I do, I usually tell people that I'm in an all-out war against the wealth gap and against women, especially not trusting and knowing and owning the value that they bring to the table. And sales just happens to be my weapon of choice. Before you became pregnant, what did you think your life was going to be like? What was, what was happening in your life right then? What did you think was going to happen next? Man, I was so young. So, you know, when we're young, we believe the world is ours. I don't know if you've ever seen that meme that says, remember her? And it's like a little girl playing in the rain or something. And she's all wet. And it's like, let's go get her. Let's go find her. And I remember her. She was fearless. She thought that she could do anything. And so I just thought that I would go to school and, you know, follow the trajectory that people gave to get your degrees and get a good job. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I kind of ended up being a teacher. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but I also like knew that I wanted to be like a millionaire by the time I was 40. I had all these like crazy dreams. I knew that I was important to the world that I was meant to impact people in a really powerful way. At that time, I wasn't really clear what that meant. Um, 
other than just going about like that normal path. But I thought I knew for certain that I was destined to do big things in the world. Yeah. And then this happens. How did your family react? What were your surroundings around your pregnancy? What happened with your education? Tell, tell us a little bit of what, what that was like being there. I think in that regard, I was very fortunate. Mm -hmm. I almost said lucky, but I'm like, no, I wasn't lucky. I was fortunate. My family has always been super supportive. And so I was able to continue to go to school in the first um, few months of my, well, towards the end of my pregnancy, I was still at school. She was born in September. So that's when school first started. So I did homeschooling for a little while. And then after the postpartum stuff, I was able to go right back because you have to realize I was in like calculus. I was in high level classes. So there's no homeschooling for high level classes. So even while I was at home, I had to go to school for a couple of classes a day because there was no books or home study teachers to teach those types of courses. So when I say that I was a high level, high achieving student, I really, really was. I was fortunate in that though there were people who pulled me like out of programs, like I was in a program called Black Future Leaders and they decided that I was no longer a leader in the Black community. So I was pulled out of that program and some other programs like that. But in all of the other clubs that I participated in, I was able to like bring my daughter on campus when I was, you know, practicing for drama, having drama rehearsals. She would just be sitting there sometimes when I went to college because I did go on and go to college. I graduated on time. So I don't have that story of being a teen mom and not finishing high school or not being able to move on to a secondary degree. It took me longer to finish for sure, you know, because there's a difference between going to school and working because you want to, and then working because you have to provide for yourself. And so I did end up completing college. I actually have two degrees in business. And while, again, that journey took a little longer than I had originally hoped. So instead of like four years, it took me seven years to complete it. I did complete. So I don't know. I think I wouldn't trade any of the experiences that I've had at all, because what I know is everything that I've been through is a part of the leader that I am today. It's the reason why I see people the way that I see them, where I see promise when other people will see failure or disappointment or you know, the possibility of them not achieving these big, wild, hairy, audacious dreams that they have. But for me, I look at them and I only see power. I see potential. And I, I'm a mirror for that for them because I know what it's like to have somebody reflecting something back to you that is not you because they don't know what to do with your current circumstances. Would you say that there were people in your life back then who were instilling these values in you that could see that power and that promise in you that you're just describing as seeing in your clients? Absolutely. Who were uh, these people? So I had a, a teacher in junior high school who was, her name was Miss Modley. And um, she was a mentor to me in junior high school. She was actually the one who got me into that Black Future Leaders program. And she used to take me to do what's called oratorical contests where you would go and do poetry and speaking and speeches and you know things like that for awards. And so she got me into that and I moved on to high school. She found out that I had become pregnant. I remember her coming, either inviting me to her school or coming to see me and bringing me clothing that, her, that she had for her child who was around a little bit older than my daughter. And for me, that was a huge 
message of I still believe in who you are. I'm getting kind of teary-eyed. Thinking. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really thought about this for a while. Um, it was just a huge message that I still believe in who you are and that I still support you. And so I always had these glimmers of hope of people who would show up in my life and not judge my circumstance, but see me as a human and see me as the the powerful person that I was even at such a young age. Yeah. What would you say to those people who were so supportive of you back then and now with the huge success that you are now, what would you go back and tell them? I'm so freaking grateful for people who are just human. You know, sometimes we act like we're not human. We get to a certain spot and we forget that we all have a story and that we all have a journey and that in this world, we need each other. We are designed as humans. Like we can't survive without human interaction and human touch. That is divine design. And no one ever wants to be alone and everyone wants to be seen completely for who they are, not who people desire them to be. And so I'm grateful for those people who were able to kind of, you know, buck against society and just show their humanity in a way where they were able to just love on me no matter what. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's listening right now who maybe down on their luck right now and they're looking at you as a source of inspiration and as a vision for their own life what would you tell them the words that are always in my my heart and soul are just never give up and it doesn't have to be a pushing striving it's just a, a trust and a knowing when you know that you know that you know you know i could look at my life and go it wasn't supposed to be that way and in hindsight i go it was exactly how it was supposed to be when i was in it i was just trusting in the knowing that there was always something greater that was is coming on the other side and so i would say never ever ever give up on your dreams no matter how outlandish they seem how impossible they seem because everything's impossible until somebody does it And just keep that courage and that faith. It takes courage to continue to get back up again when it looks like all hell is breaking loose around you. And to also be gracious with yourself, learning how to not beat myself up. And when going through potential setbacks and disappointments has become an art form for me, allowing emotion to process through me when I need it and not judging it. All of those things are just really, really important. And no one can give that to you, but you. Do you remember a time when maybe you were going through your college experience or maybe when you were just starting at right around that time frame when things got really hard and you may have considered quitting or doing something else or I would love for anybody out there who's listening who can see you as that beacon of vision and strength to hear about a time that things didn't feel like they were clicking and working out. Yeah. So I am a very tenacious person. So quitting is not in my, my vocabulary, <laughs> but I will tell you that um, I thought I was on this great path at one point in time. I was about 27 years old. I just earned my first six figures. 
while I wasn't a complete business owner, I was a 1099 employee and I did have a company associated with it. And so here I was on the cusp of multiple six figures, things were going great. I'm thinking, all right, I'm proving them wrong. And in 2008 in the United States, we had a big like real estate bust. And I was actually in real estate at the time. I was in real estate loans and the financial end of it. And we ended up losing everything. So at this time I had gone from being a teen mom to being a six figure, just about multiple six figure earner. And so I thought, okay, here we are. This is it. I'm about 27 years old. I'm managing, you know, some real estate mortgage companies and just doing really, really well for myself. I have employees in my own small little company. It was just really great. And I just remember we had a, you know, a almost 4,000 square foot home. People would be like, you live in a mansion. I'm like, it's just a house. <laughs> um, and so we drove nice cars. You know, my husband uh, drove a Beamer. I drove a Mercedes. It was all like, everything was gravy, right? It was beautiful. I had kids in private school. I was doing the thing. Yeah. And we only lasted a little while because I didn't have quite as much savings because I thought the money was just going to keep coming. So I had future plans. And so when the real estate bust happened, eventually we ended up having to let employees go. We lost the cars. We lost the house. We, we lost everything. I always tell people right now I'm playing my country song backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, we lost everything. And it wasn't just like we lost everything and people have the stories like once you've earned a certain amount of money, you could just go get it back. We had children. And so over time, depleting all the savings that we had, the only thing that we could do was go get public assistance. And so here I am, a person who was living in a house that people used to call a mansion and a multiple six-figure earner and a vow to never be on public assistance in my life again once I had gone off of it as a teenager back in the welfare office. And the shame of that was huge and tremendous. And in the office, people would say things like, this is made for people like you. And I'm like, no, people like me aren't supposed to be here. (laughs) And so I just remember sitting there, one, sticking out like a sore thumb, because I didn't look like I belong there, but we definitely did, because we needed to feed our babies. And feeling a huge, immense amount of shame. And I think what took me so long to get back to or get to where we are, where I am today, is the releasing of that shame. Sitting there in the welfare office, I remember almost giving up. I remember nights in the bathroom, crying into a pillow so my kids couldn't hear just the pain of what I was going through. And I remember as I was sitting in the office feeling like everybody, I just felt like everyone was looking at me. No one was probably paying attention to me, but it felt like all eyes were on me. And I can like, I don't know. It was like this visceral feeling in my body of this can't be happening to me. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting on my name to be called. And I hear like an almost audible voice because I'm at the point of like, okay, it's over hopelessness in my, in my heart and my spirit, like, wow, this is what it's come to. And I hear this voice say, get up, fight. It's not over. This is not how this story ends. And so 
when I look back on that moment and I have looked back on it in the past, I realize there was something I did in that moment that I didn't realize at the time. And it was that I had to give myself permission that it was okay for me to be successful, even though I'd had a huge setback. Because remember, I'm a consultant and a mentor in, to business owners. Back then, 2008, 2009, social media wasn't what it is right now, right? So, uh, you know, Facebook was just starting. Twitter was just starting. Mm-hmm. I would I would love to zoom into what was that like for you to deal with clients, right, who were trusting you, right? Because you had created this persona, you had created this identity as successful. I want to know what it was like to come out to them, to come out to family and friends. Like once I were saying, you live in a mansion, you have it made, and you're here dishing out advice, right? What was it like to contract publicly? Yeah, I don't think I ever, in the moment where I allowed shame to run the show, I was pretending. Mm-hmm. I struggled. My business struggled because on the outside, I was looking the part because I didn't want anyone to really know like, okay, the real estate market busted, but I'm still doing something. I'm doing a thing. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't want anyone to really know on the outside, it looked like, oh, everything's going well. But on the inside, I was like, don't pay me. I'm not worthy. <laughs> I don't really want a client. And I would do things. My behavior would be in alignment with that belief system and that structure. People would show up that wanted to pay me and I would take forever to call them back because I had shame. And so for a long time, I struggled. And I love that you said that you came out because it wasn't until I started telling this story that I'm sharing with you publicly and people would go, oh my gosh, you're so courageous. But I had to put a name to it. Shame can't, shame could only live in secrecy. Mm. It can only live in secrecy. And so when you put a name to it, when you speak it publicly, it loses its power over your life. And what began to happen is I began to get healed and people began to show up and my life began to turn around. My business began to turn around. And so I would tell my story over and over and over and over again. It's a huge part of the work that I do today. The work I do today is because of the story that I'm sharing with you right now. Yeah. My business model is based on those permissions that I gave myself that day inside of the welfare office sitting there. And it's why my work is so powerful. And I would love for you to share. There were three permission slips that you gave yourself. I would love for you to share that understanding for everybody who's listening to us right now. The context is when you're really down, when there's shame, when you feel like you can't go on YouTube and tell your story because the shame is too great. These are the three permission slips that may be your way to get out of those feelings. What were those three permission slips, Shamika? So... I want to say this, when I was in it, I didn't realize it. I went back and I looked over the moment and I realized these are the things that I had to do in order to pull out of this shame, this feeling of shame. And the first one was permission to trust my value. Permission to trust that everything that I've always been when I was a little girl, when I thought I was meant to impact people, all of that was still true. And that there was no failure, no setback, no disappointment or circumstance that could happen in my life that could devalue who I was created to be by divine design and the impact that I was meant to have on other people. Nothing could devalue that. And so I always use this example of, if you think about this, let me grab something. We'll use this. So we'll use this piece of paper that I have. 
and I'm just going to fold it up a little bit. So let's just pretend that this is a $100 bill, okay? So if I have a $100 bill in my hand, how much is it worth? $100. Okay. And if I crumble it and ball it up, how much is it worth? Still 100 If I throw it on the ground and I stomp on it and I drag it all around the street, the house, how much is it worth? Still a hundred. And if I rip it a little bit and it's a little torn and battered and doesn't quite look like a brand new crisp hundred dollar bill anymore, how much is it worth? Still a hundred. And by the way, I'm getting teary eyed because I feel like you're doing voodoo on my body. <laughs> like you're like throwing me around because like that those internal feelings are 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 there for all of us. It's such a beautiful lesson because we can give it to an an adamant object right? But it's hard for us to give ourselves the sanctity or the dignity of that same experience that your value does not change because you invested in too many programs and didn't have the money that you were making just sitting in a bank account, right? It doesn't change because I became a teen mom. And as a matter of fact, I would submit to you, if you think about it over time, the older money gets the longer it's in circulation, it actually has more value over time because we keep printing money and printing money, but this older money is more valuable. And what I realize is I was not just valuable or despite the things that I went through, but I was actually even more valuable to my clients and the people that I'm meant to impact now because of the things that I've been through. I love this so much. <laughs> I should just like get myself a $100 bill, crumple it up and just have it posted on my wall as a reminder of this. I welcome everybody to do that. be an amazing exercise. And, you know, just print out a picture of a $100 bill. It doesn't have to be a real one. So let me go back to your story, Shamika, because when you were in the welfare office and you decided these are the things that I'm going to believe, oh, you just went through one yeah. of the permission slips. I'm sorry. Let, yeah, let's keep going with those. What are okay. the other two? So this, the second one is permission to own my expert status. So there's a person, I always take a page out of this person's book. And so if I were to ask you, I do this everywhere I go, by the way. I ask Uber drivers. <laughs> I ask all kinds of people. When I travel to other countries, when I'm in Paris, I'm like, who is the greatest boxer of all time? Muhammad Ali. Exactly. No hesitation, no question, no, hmm, let me think about it. Then I follow up with a secondary question because it's amazing to me. It's like a phenomenon to me that everyone, I don't care how old they are, from the oldest to the youngest, five-year-old to 100 years old, always answer Muhammad Ali. Who said he was the greatest? He did. He did. There was no other person who crowned him the greatest. He did. In fact, he said, I said I was the greatest before I ever was, before I ever knew I was. I was just saying I was the greatest. Mm -hmm. And so my page out of his book was, you are the one who determines your expert status, your level of expertise, your authority in the world. No one can really do that for you. No waiting on an invitation to play on the big kids playground, to get invited to sit at the big kids table or the rooms or the stages that you want to be on. It starts within you. 
And so I had to give myself permission to claim myself the authority that I already knew myself to be instead of sitting around waiting on someone else to say, oh, I see you and you are an authority. And so now you can rise to the occasion and help people, (laughs) right? Yeah. So I love his story. And I always just invite people to do that, to take a page out of his book you are the only you there will ever be. And while there may be other people who do the type of work that you do in the world or who have a similar storyline as you, no one has your fingerprints. No one has your tone of your voice. It's all you. No one has your lived experiences. And that is what makes you powerfully impactful to those to whom you are an answer to prayer. And they are your divine assignment. Sorry, and I just want to compliment and on my end, it also took a quick realization to see that I can still teach. I, I have a ton of value to give that has nothing to do with how well or poorly I managed my debt. I managed my shiny yes. object syndrome. There is so much that I have to give that I can teach and that I can help people get results Absolutely. with has nothing to do with that. So standing in my expertise was one of the big things that helped me survive this. So what was permission number three? So the last one was probably the toughest because remember I was hiding in plain sight. I was like, I have a business. I want clients. Don't pay me. (laughs) Right. That's this thing going on. And so it was stop hiding and sell more. Stop hiding and loudly proclaim that your doors are open and that you can help and support people. So many people do the actions of doing business, but secretly are pushing clients away or do the actions of being seen as a business owner, website, business cards, all of those things, but quite frankly, never invite people to work with them. And so for me, it was stop hiding in plain sight and sell more, more often to more people, just loudly and proudly over and over and over again, letting people know my doors are open. I can support you. My doors are open. I can support you. My doors are open. I can support you. And it changed everything. Yeah. And I I just want to say this totally out loud. You're so right. And I've been guilty of this, of putting myself out there so much, right? And I have a podcast and I have all the great social media account and all these things. And I will talk to my husband. I'm like, I haven't made any money this month. And he's like, why? I'm like, I know exactly why, because I haven't sold anything. Somehow we think that, oh, as long as I do all the right things, the money is going to come. You guys, That's going to be true as long as you're actually inviting people to work with you relentlessly, consistently, all the time. People have to be able to understand what you do so that they want it, so that they can accept your invitation. Because it's few or far between the opportunities where people are knocking on your door and saying, I want to work with you. It does happen, but we don't rely on that. We rely on invitation and acceptance, invitation and acceptance. So thank you for saying that out loud so everybody can hear it, even for people in the back. Those are so powerful, those lessons. So let me ask you before we wrap up, in your rebranding, and I could see you becoming this, this 
kick ass, <laughs> empowered woman. Like you could see it in your branding so clearly. Like I went to your website and immediately felt it. It like slapped me in the face with the power of it. And one of the things that you're very well known for is about the power of sales. It's about how you teach sales. I saw a post on Instagram where you said that one of your clients just described the way that you describe sales, the way that you teach sales as, as a religious experience almost. Um, and I thought that was, that was very, very sweet. So is there something in particular that you believe that new starting entrepreneurs who are, who are really, you know, right now they may be scared of sales, right? And kind of hiding behind all the marketing. What would you say to them is a big key to unlocking their sales potential? I think the biggest thing is understanding what sales actually is, what a sales situation is. If we're in a conversation and I'm I'm about to invite you into working with me, this is actually a pivotal moment for that person. It's a point of decision. Like I talked about Adam with tears in my eyes. None of that would have happened if he hadn't sold me something. Right. Those were moments of decision for me to say, yes, I do want that bigger vision that I have for myself. And so for me, it is letting go of all of my insecurities and my thoughts about, well, what if the person's going to think I'm pushy and all of those things and understanding that it is almost spiritual in nature. This is my moment to make an invitation to someone that can be the bridge to exactly where they're trying to go. And I take that very seriously. So I always tell my clients that one, let go of your own baggage, right? It can't be about you. It's got to be about them. So the second thing is this. It is your responsibility in that moment, if you know that you have something that can support someone to getting there, to offer that to them. If you knew you had the cure to cancer, would you hold it back? Right. Like how rude would that be to know that you had an answer to cancer and let someone leave a conversation with you because you didn't want to push it on them, <laughs> right? I don't want to be pushy, but you have the cure. If you knew you had the cure to cancer, you do everything in your power to make sure that that person at least knew it was available and whatever they decide to do, it's up to them. Same situation with sales. So it's your responsibility to offer and share and make that invitation. And it is their right to choose. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, treat people like adults, but they gotta be able to describe in their own words what it is that you do. They gotta know that that is an option for them and yeah. you're the only one who can provide it. So let me ask you if everybody who's listening right now had to do what you're about to tell them to do and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, they don't have a choice, what would that thing be? Whatever the most scariest thing that you can think of right now for you, go do that. Because I believe that success doesn't take time. It takes courage. And the more courageous you are, the more you work that courage muscle. I believe that every dollar that we make is a time that we say yes to courage. It's a reflection of the time that we say yes to courage. Not asking for the sale. It's because you're not acting in courage. Not wanting to sell. It's because you're not acting in courage. Not wanting to get on live video. All of those things have to do with courage. And so if you can think of the scariest thing, whatever you just thought of, whatever that was, not the second thing, but the first thing, go do it and go do it sooner rather than later and keep following courage over and over and over again. Do the next courageous thing and the next courageous thing and the next courageous thing. And then when you wake up, your life will be completely different. 
I love that. It's almost like what they say that your success is measured in the number of difficult conversations that you're willing to have. It's Absolutely. always doing the hard right thing. So Shamika Tankerson, this has been an incredible treat for me. I'm so grateful that you decided to do this. So where can people follow you and find you online? So I hang out because I'm old, <laughs> mostly on <laughs> Facebook. So Facebook is my world. It's where I am. You can find me on Instagram as well, but Facebook is where I have my hands and everything. So follow me over there. Shamika Tankerson is every, I'm across all platforms on social media as Shamika Tankerson. You can also go to shamikatankerson.com. We are in the middle of a rebrand. So in the next 60, 60 days-ish, you're going to see another um, powerful explosion of, this new version of who I've become as of late. I'm excited about that as well. But shamikatankerson.com, you'll always be able to find me there. Find me there. I have lots of free content that you can engage in. I have some goodies that you can access as well. And I would love to have you come hang out with me and my community. Thank you so much, Shamika. It was a real treat. Thank you. This was a fun conversation. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering how Shamika managed to reach seven figures with a small audience. That's right. She only has just over 1,000 followers on Instagram and fewer than 700 members in her Facebook group at the time of this recording. So how does she do it? Make sure to hit subscribe so you get the next companion episode where I will teach you three things that Shamika Tankerson is doing very right in her business and you should start doing right now. And if you're an entrepreneur and you'd like to send us your tip of the week for a chance to get featured on a future episode, just go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip to request the full instructions. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.